Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our daily reading conference call on A Course in Miracles, Original Edition. We read from the text of A Course in Miracles, Original Edition, which is published by our dear friends at the Course in Miracles Society. You can access an online copy of the original edition by going to jcim.net where if you mouse over the link at top for online edition, you will see the link to read ACIMOE. On that same drop-down menu, there is a link to subscribe to an excellent daily email sent to you by the Course in Miracles Society, which contains both the workbook lesson and the text reading for the day. My name is Lemoyne Castle, and this call happens for and with you every weekday morning, Monday through Friday, from about 9.15 to about 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Today we're continuing our reading in Chapter 18, The Dream and the Reality, with Section 5, The Little Willingness. At the top of the hour, we'll pause for uh, uh, the introduction to Review 6 uh, with its centralizing theme. I am not a body, I am free, for I am still as God created me. Pardon me. Um, do you have a poetic opening you'd like to give us this morning, Maury? Um, I do, and I'm very grateful to Helen Schuckman in her book, The Gifts of God, for this poem that speaks to the oneness of Christ's vision, which is the title of the poem. Let not the past obscure the now to you. For thus you waken happily with joy upon your heart and eyes to see a world awaiting to be seen aright at last. How beautiful the newly born, for they reflect their father's love, their brother's care, the happiness of heaven, and the peace that is their true inheritance. It is on them you look. They have no past today. All darkness vanishes and heaven's smile presents a world from which the past is gone. And present happiness ends all despair in shining silence and simplicity. Amen. Well, thank you. That was good. Thank you. Yeah, I love that poem. Thanks, friend. Oh, thank you. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Always love your poems. They're so beautiful. Thank you for doing it every day. Thank you, lovely. Yes, yes. Thank you, Lori.
Me too. Thank you, Lori. Guys are gracious beyond belief. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great fit for for today's reading, at least the last three lines that I caught after (laughs) I struggled. Okay. Um, Let me set that aside and say, with us this morning in reading, I have Fran, Lori, Karen, Donna, Jessica, and Robin Marie. With us in listening, I have Harrison and Judy. Is there anyone else who's joined the call who'd like to join the reading list or say good morning? All right. I'll get us started then. One, one more short second here. Okay. <clears throat> Chapter 18, The Dream and the Reality. Section 5, The Little Willingness. The holy instant is the result of your determination to be holy. It is the answer. The desire and the willingness to let it come precedes its coming. You prepare your minds for it only to the extent of recognizing that you want it above all else. It is not necessary that you do more. Indeed, it is necessary that you realize that you cannot do more. Do not attempt to give the Holy Spirit what he does not ask, or you will add the ego unto him and confuse the two. He asks for little. It is he who adds the greatness and the might. He joins with you to make the holy instant far greater than you can understand. It is your realization that you need do so little that enables him to give so much. And friends, Chapter 18, The Dream and the Reality, Section 5, The Little Willingness, Paragraph 32. The holy instant is the result of your determination to be holy. It is the answer. The desire and the willingness to let it come precedes its coming. You prepare your minds for it only to the extent of recognizing that you want it above all else. It is not necessary that you do more. Indeed, it is necessary that you realize that you cannot do more. Do not attempt to give the Holy Spirit what he does not ask, or you will add the ego unto him and confuse the two. He asks but little. It is he who adds the greatness and the might. He joins with you to make the holy instant far greater than you can understand. It is your realization that you need do so little that enables him to give so much. 33. Trust not your good intentions. They are not enough. But trust implicitly your willingness, whatever else may enter. Concentrate only on this, and be not disturbed that shadows surround it. 
That is why you came. If you could come without them, you would not need the holy instant. Come to it not in ignorance, arrogance, and assuming that you must achieve the state its coming brings with you. The miracle of the holy instant lies in your willingness to let it be what it is. And in your willingness for this lies also your acceptance of yourself as you were meant to be. Thank you, friend. And Lori. 33. Trust not your good intentions. They are not enough. But trust implicitly your willingness, whatever else may enter. Concentrate only on this and be not disturbed by shadows that surround it. That is why you came. If you could come without them, you would not need the holy instant. Come to it not in arrogance, assuming that you must achieve the state its coming brings with it. The miracle of the holy instant lies in your willingness to let it be what it is. And in your willingness for this also lies your acceptance of yourself as you were meant to be. 34. Humility will never ask that you remain content with littleness, but it does require that you be not content with less than greatness, which comes not of your which comes not of you. Your difficulty with the holy instant arises from your fixed conviction that you are not worthy of it. And what is this but the determination to be as you would make yourself? God did not create his dwelling place unworthy of him. And if you believe he cannot enter where he wills to be, you must be interfering with his will. You do not need the strength of willingness to come from you, but only from his will. Thank you, Lori and Karen. 34. Humility will never ask that you remain content with littleness, but it does require that you be not content with less than greatness, which comes not of you. Your difficulty with the holy instant arises from your fixed conviction that you are not worthy of it. And what is this but the determination to be as you would make yourself? God did not create his dwelling place unworthy of him. And if you believe he cannot enter where he wills to be, you must be interfering with his will. You do not need the strength of willingness to come from you, but only from his will. 35. The holy instant does not come from your little willingness alone. It is always the result of your small willingness combined with the unlimited power of God's will. You have been wrong in thinking that it is needful to prepare yourself for him. It is impossible to make arrogant preparations for holiness and not believe 
that it is up to you to establish the conditions for peace. God has established them. They do not wait upon your willingness for what they are. Your willingness is needed only to make it possible to teach you what they are. If you maintain you are unworthy of learning this, you are interfering with the lesson by believing that you make the learner different. You did not make the learner, nor can you make him different. Would you first make a miracle yourself and then expect one to be made for you? Thank you, Karen. And Donna, would you read, (coughs) excuse me, would you read 35 through 37, please? Thirty-five. The holy instant does not come from your little willingness alone. It is always the result of your small willingness combined with the unlimited power of God's will. You have been wrong in thinking that it is needful to prepare yourself for him. It is impossible to make arrogant preparations for holiness and not believe that it is up to you to establish the conditions for peace. God has established them. They do not wait upon your willingness for what you are. They do not wait upon your willingness for what they are. Your willingness is needed only to make it possible to teach you what they are if you maintain your un if you maintain you are unworthy to learn this you are interfering with the lesson by believing that you make the learner different you did not make the learner nor can you make him different would you first make a miracle yourself and then expect one to be made for you 36. You merely ask the question. The answer is given. Seek not to answer it, but merely receive the answer as it is given. In preparing for the holy instant, do not attempt to make yourself holy to be ready to receive it. That is but to confuse your role with God's. Atonement cannot come to those who think they must first atone, but only to those who offer it nothing more than simple willingness to make way for it. Purification is of God alone and therefore for you. Rather than seek to prepare yourself for him, try to think thus. 37. I, who am host to God, am worthy of him. He, who established his dwelling place in me, created it as he would have it. It is not needful that I make it ready for him, but only that I do not interfere with his plan to restore me to my own awareness of my readiness 
which is eternal. I need add nothing to his plan. But to receive it, I must be willing not to substitute my own in place of it. Thank you, Donna. And let's see, Jessica, would you read 36 through 38? Yes. 36. You merely ask the question. The answer is given. Seek not to answer it, but merely receive the answer as it is given. In preparing for the holy instant, do not attempt to make yourself holy to be ready to receive it. That is but to confuse your role with God. Atonement cannot come to those who think that they must first atone, but only to those who offer it nothing more than simple willingness to make a way for it. Purification is of God alone and therefore for you. Rather than seek to prepare yourself for him, try to think thus. I, who am host to God, am worthy of him. He who established his dwelling place in me created it as he would have it be. It is not needful that I make it ready for him, but only that I do not interfere with his plan to restore to me my own awareness of my readiness, which is eternal. I need add nothing to his plan, but to receive it, I must be willing not to substitute my own in place of it. 38, and that is all. Add more and you will merely take away the little that is asked. Remember, you made guilt and that your plan for the escape from guilt has been to bring atonement to it and make salvation fearful. And it is only fear that you will add if you prepare yourself for love. The preparation for the holy instant belongs to him who gives it. Release yourself to him whose function is release. Do not assume his function for him. Give him but what he asks, that you may learn how little is your part and how great is his. Thank you, Jessica. And Robin Marie, would you um, pick up a sentence or two from 36 and read down through 39? Sure. Thirty-six, and down to purification is of God alone, and therefore for you. Rather than seek to prepare yourself for him, try to think thus. I who am host to God am worthy of him. 
He who established his dwelling place in me created it as he would have it be. It is not needful that I make it ready for him, but only that I do not interfere with his plan to restore to me my own awareness of my readiness, which is eternal. I need add nothing to his plan, but to receive it, I must be willing not to substitute my own in place of it. 38. And that is all. Add more and you will merely take away the little that is asked. Remember you made guilt and that your plan for the escape from guilt has been to bring atonement to it and make salvation fearful. And it is only fear that you will add if you prepare yourself for love. The preparation for the holy instant belongs to him who gives it. Release yourselves to him whose function is release. Do not assume his function for him. Give him but what he asks, that you may learn how little is your part and how great is his. 39. It is this that makes the holy instant so easy and so natural. You make it difficult because you insist there must be more that you need do. Brackets, you find it difficult to accept the idea that you need give it so little to receive so much. And it is very hard for you to realize that it is not personally insulting that your contribution and the Holy Spirit's are so extremely disproportionate. You are still convinced your understanding is a powerful contribution to the truth and makes it what it is. Yet we have emphasized that you need understand nothing. Salvation is easy just because it asks nothing that you cannot give right now. Thank you, Robin Marie. And is there a new reader for 39 and 40? This is Sandra. I can read. Sure, I'm in 39 and 40. Good morning. 39 and 40. Um, let me see here. Coin flipping. Uh, go ahead, Judy. Uh, you read last, Sandra. Is that that's okay. Okay. Sure. 39. It is this that makes the holy instant so easy and so natural. You make it difficult because you insist there must be more that you need do. You find it difficult to accept the idea that you need give so little to receive so much. And it is very hard for you to realize that it is not personally insulting, that your own contribution and the Holy Spirit's are so extremely disproportionate. You are still convinced, excuse me, you you are still convinced that your understanding is a powerful contribution to the truth and makes it what it is, yet we have emphasized that you need understand nothing salvation is easy just because
because it asks nothing that you cannot give right now. Forget not that it has been your decision to make everything that is natural and easy for you impossible. (laughs) What you believe to be impossible will be, if God so wills it, but you will remain quite unaware of it. I think I read the emphasis wrong on that. What you believe to be impossible will be if God so wills it, but you will remain unaware of it. If you believe the holy instant is difficult for you, it is because you have become the arbiter of what is possible and remain unwilling to give place to capital one, capital who knows. Give place to one who knows. The whole belief in orders of difficulty and miracles is centered on just this. Everything God wills is not only possible, but has already happened. And what and that is why the past is gone. It never happened in reality, only in your mind, which thought it did, and its undoing is needful. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. And Sandra. 40. Forget not that it has been your decision to make everything that is natural and easy for you impossible. What you believe to be impossible will be, will be if God so wills it, but you will remain quite unaware of it. If you believe the holy instant is difficult for you, it is because you have become the arbiter of what is possible and remain unwilling to give place to one who knows. Those are all capitalized. The whole belief in orders of difficulty in miracles is centered on this. Everything God wills is not only possible, but has already happened. And that is why the past has gone. It never happened in reality only in your mind, which thought it did, is its undoing needful. Thank you, Sandra. And, uh... Reach that point where I need a sun hat. Okay. Um... And all sunbeams hitting me right in the eyes. Okay. Um, hmm. Well, we have a few minutes before the top of the hour. Uh, I think as a summary, I'm just going to go to 38. The preparation for the holy instant belongs to him who gives it. Release yourselves to him whose function is your release. Do not assume his function for him. Give him but what he asks, that you may learn how little is your part and how great is his. And, uh, I don't know. 
You want eight minutes for the review there, Fran? You want me to do it now? Or, you know, I don't know. Does anybody have a burning chair today? I have a chair. Okay. Yep, this is Sandra. I do, I do, I do, I do. Um, It says here that I am host to God, and that just made such a – it just imprinted on me. I am host to God because there is no God in conscious form except through me using my communication device, my body, as an extension of God's love. I mean, God is everywhere. God is in everything, but it's it's not consciously known except through, you know, human consciousness. At least not not while I'm in human form. So the way that I know God consciously is to embrace and embody the the principles laid out in this book. And and so the principle here is that my body is a communication device. And its purpose is the extension of God's love, God's trust, God's compassion, God's forgiveness, God's innocence. I just have to take all my judgments, and that's it, all my judgments, and turn them over to Holy Spirit and trust that I will be guided when I ask to be shown the truth. So that requires my faith, and that requires my patience. Uncomplete. Good one. Thank you. Thank you, Sandra. Thank you, Sandra. Sandra. Uh, uh, Lemoyne, this is Donna, and I I have a quick share. I cannot believe, since I come to this course and heard Laurie say so many times, talk about the holy instant, I have wondered... Since I came to this this course, what is this holy instant? I have continued to ask that question within myself. And today, not only has it been answered for me, I have realized and understood what holy instant means now. And what I got is the holy instant isn't something that happens, but it's what I live in and what I let live through me. I am a very grateful soul, spirit, son of God today. I am complete. Oh, that's beautiful, Donna. That's just beautiful. Hallelujah. That was wonderful. I think that's what he means when he says the holy instant is a result. Donna, it's it's a result. And um, that's a really big flip. So thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you. Hi, it's Karen. I had just one little thing. Um, Once upon a time, I wrote to Swami before I was going on visit Amma to be on staff and I said you know I'm not worthy and he said you can't take a, you can't take a, a shower to, ba- to wash yourself before you get in the river to take a bath 
and that was the kind of the same thing. You can't uh, prepare yourself for God. You can't. It's impossible to make arrogant preparations for holiness and not believe that it is up to you, which is of course your ego, to establish conditions for peace. Um, I always think of the holy instant. It's really a moment when all my self-consciousness and all my ego drops away and I'm in the the divine, I'm in a, the, in a moment where I'm just completely present and completely in the love of the, without any thought, without any planning, without, without any efforting or doing at all. The holy instant is a moment of absolute purity and and being in the divine. And it happens with people, of course, occasionally. It happens in nature, and that's when people feel that call inside themselves, you know, where they stop running around and being in the frantic chaos of the mind, and they just all of a sudden experience divinity. Um and it's, of course, it can happen in meditation on the inner plane too, but um, it's like living in that all the time is God's grace, and we can't prepare for it, but only our willingness makes us, us receptive and open. That's what this is saying, just to have the willingness. I'm complete. Oh, I love that, Karen. Yeah, I love the you. metaphor. Take a shower before you, before you dive in the river. That's great. Yeah, thank you, Karen. Of course, it's the Ganges. You know, that's the the idea that that God is like the Ganges. You can't you can't bathe before you go in the river to take a bath in the divine. Beautiful. Well, I you know, I would say maybe you can do that, but it just delays the bath. <laughs> At least. Um Okay, uh, I think it's close enough that it's near the top of the hour. I'll go ahead and give it over to you, Fran, for the lesson for the day. All right, thank you. Hi, everybody. We are still on the first part of the workbook, and we're on review six. And the lesson for today is lesson 201. Uh, I trust my... It's a... Repeat of Lesson 181, I trust my brothers who are one with me. So I'm going to read some from the introduction, and then we'll go over and do our five-minute practice. Review 6. For this review, we take but one idea each day and practice it as often as is possible. Besides the time we give morning and evening, which should not be less than 15 minutes, and the hourly remembrances we make throughout the day, 
Use the idea as often as you can between them. Each of these ideas alone would be sufficient for salvation if it were learned truly. With this in mind, we start our practicing in which we carefully review the thoughts the Holy Spirit has bestowed on us in our last 20 lessons. These practice sessions, like our last review, are centered around a central theme with which we start and end each lesson. It is this. I am not a body. I am free, for I am still as God created me. The day begins and ends with this, and we repeat it every time the hour strikes or we remember in between we have a function that transcends the world we see. We will attempt to get beyond all words and special forms of practicing for this review, for we attempt this time to reach a quickened pace along a shorter path to the serenity and peace of God. We merely close our eyes and then forget all that we thought we knew and understood, for this is freedom given us from all we did not know and failed to understand. There is but one exception to this lack of structuring. Permit no idle thought to go unchallenged. When you are tempted, hasten to proclaim your freedom from temptation as you say, this thought I do not want. I choose instead and then repeat the idea for the day and let it take the place of what you thought. We give these times of quiet to the teacher who instructs in quiet, speaks of peace, and gives our thoughts whatever meaning they may have. To him, I offer this review for you. I place you in his charge and let him teach you what to do and say and think each time you turn to him. We will not fail to be available to you each time you call to him and to help you, to help you. Let us offer him the whole review we now begin, and let us also not forget to whom it has been given as we practice day by day. Now we'll do the five-minute meditation on the lesson. Lesson 201. I am not a body. I am free, for I am still as God created me. Lesson 181. I trust my brothers who are one with me. No one but is my brother. I am blessed with oneness with the universe of, and God, my Father, one creator of the whole that is myself, forever one with me. I am not a body. I am free. For I am still as God created me. Okay, five minutes.
Lesson 201, I am not a body, I am free, for I am still as God created me. I trust my brothers who are one with me. No one but is my brother. I am blessed with oneness with the universe and God, my Father, one creator of the whole that is myself, forever one with me. I am not a body, I am free. For I am still as God created me. Amen. Thank you, friend. Amen. Thanks, friend. I loved every bit of the review that you brought in. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Good job. Thank you, friend. Thank you. Were you going to share something about it? I love the I love the introduction because I love how he reminds me to do at least fifteen minutes, morning and night, and on the hour, and when anything comes to interfere, any thought comes to interfere. I love to be reminded of that. I'm complete. Yeah, me too. Thanks, Fran. Thanks, Fran. I got a, I got a couplet with that, Fran. Um, this is one of those. And Lori, you made me think of this because you said um, we're talking about the univocal, um, the three univocal lessons that start out with. There is no will but God's. There is no love but God's, and there is no peace but God's. And and this lesson starts out with um, not starts out with, but the the lesson one eighty one lesson starts out with that no one is but my brother, which says there's absolutely no exceptions to that. So I can't judge anybody as excluded from who is my brother. And, you know, that really took me to the, to the Christ consciousness um, where, you know, judgment is just totally out of the question and that I can only see through Christ's eyes if I want to know, want to know the truth of who I am as the one son of God, that no one's excluded from this, no matter what they look like, what they're saying or what they're doing what appearances um, are, um, uh, what is appearing and what is disappearing in the temporal frame of our human experience. That, that's all perception and interpretation. And it's like none of this, this is the difference. What's the name of the chapter again, Lemoyne? Dreams and what? Help me out. Uh, the dream and the reality? Yeah, the difference between the dream and the reality. What's the reality? Our reality is beyond the mind, beyond signs and symbols and images, beyond perception and beyond learning. It's knowledge, the difference between perception and knowledge and um, illusions and truth and dreams and reality. And that the recognition that judgment is the cause of my loss of peace that it disturbs my peace because 
In truth, I know that I am one with everything. In truth, I know that that everything is a part of me and that I'm in a state of union and a state of grace with it. But the ego denies it by looking, by forgetting that it's that we are who we are in truth and slices and dices it according to the eyes that the body sees through. So um, this is really a good lesson for me this morning. And um, to get back to what you shared, Fran, about, you know, remembering the times throughout the day, that part about having um, an awareness of idle thoughts. And I was contemplating what idle thoughts are, and I'm like, any personal interpretation or distortion of reality. (laughs) And that's a wrap. (laughs) Thank you. I'm complete. Oh, thank you. That was good. Thank you. Thanks, Jude. I love that. And the and the biggest distortion of reality is that I think I'm a body. <laughs> what a joke. I'm complete. Right. Wow, good point. <laughs> Still as. That's right. Thank you. Good morning, it's Karen. Donna, what what I caught was what popped out at me when Fran was speaking was about when these rogue thoughts come to us to uh, attend to them right away and move on. Thanks. Thank you, Donna. Thanks, Donna. Excuse me, Donna. Could you repeat that? I, I, I didn't quite catch it. Could you repeat it, please? Uh, Fran spoke about uh, what popped out at her was uh, to not... To let go of the, I have, uh, yeah, to better maybe Fran would repeat what she said, and I, I agree with that and need to work on that. Thanks, Fran. What did I say exactly? Well, <laughs> oh, I think About it's paragraph seven. Paragraph seven. seven? Permit no idle thought. <laughs> I'll read it again if you want. Yeah. Can you read it again? Yeah, read all of seven. <laughs> seven. Okay. There is but one exception to this lack of structuring. Permit no idle thought to go unchallenged. If you notice one, deny its whole and hasten to assure your mind that this is not what it would have. Then gently... Let the thought which you denied be given up in sure and quick exchange for the idea we practice today. And I love, okay, let me read the rest of this. When you are tempted, hasten to proclaim your freedom from temptation as you say, this thought I do not want. I choose instead and then repeat the idea for the day and let it take the place of what you thought. He's so practical, isn't he? Love it. Thank you both because, yeah, because that popped out at me big and then I couldn't find it in the print. Thank you so much.
Yeah, thank you. It's so practical in my situation where I am turning 77 in September and I'm working with kids who are in their 20s and 30s. And one of them is supposed to be over the rest of us when the boss leaves. And I have had difficulty because in my job, it's about the body. It's about where your body is, not, you know, being there when the children need you. If somebody falls, going over and making sure they're okay, uh, speaking to them, you know, kindly, but in a way that they understand that they can't grab or hit. So it's a lot of that. And this one particular person um, tends to think that I am not where I'm supposed to be. So yesterday, the person who works in the kitchen uh, did something, and, and that particular person said, blamed it on me. And so the person in the kitchen said, oh, no, that was me. And I was so thankful to have someone else um, stand up for me because uh, I, want, I think that this practice of uh, not being tempted to, to, see, to think that this person is always waiting for me to make a mistake is really important for me to learn because for sure I'm doing a great job Often they're off talking to one another, and I'm the one watching all the kids. So I know I'm doing a great job, you know, for the most part. I mean, I'm not perfect, but uh, this is going to be a helpful lesson lesson for me today. Thank you. Oh, that's great, Robin Marie. What a great application. Thank you. Hi, it's Karen again. Um, I am not a body, I'm free. Well, that means I'm spirit. And um, what I took away from the introduction, which wasn't emphasized when I went back and read it in this edition, but in the other edition, the annotated edition, there was a footnote that said, I have wordless receptivity to the Holy Spirit wordless receptivity. So that was what my intention was when I went into meditation, to not be in my mind with all of my thoughts, but to be in wordless receptivity. I'm not a body, I'm spirit, which was really hard because yesterday I was in so much pain last night, you know, just something going on with my feet. And um, anyway, uh, I trust my brother who is one with me. And when we went to that lesson to review it in the wordless receptivity of the Holy Spirit mind, um, I went back to earlier in this chapter. So the title of the chapter is um, Dreams and Reality, right? The Dream and the Reality. And we read in paragraph 18, in section three, which was the dream, the basis of the dream, it was talking about we have waking dreams and we have sleeping dreams, right? And in our waking dreams, there are figures in the dream that 
we think are doing things outside of us, apart from us. But in reality, we've made those figures and we have them act out what we want them to act out. So I've been holding up to that idea all week. And I've been thinking about, um, I trust my brothers who are one with me. And then I think of this, this big drama in my family right now where there's, you know, a person that's being blamed for certain situations. And I thought, well, okay, this is my waking dream. And my ego is projecting onto him something that I want to act it out because I haven't forgiven it and it must be about me. And and I really see that I haven't forgiven it in myself. That must be why I keep seeing it in him, why I keep projecting my guilt about my history onto him. You know, it's addiction and um, alcoholism and things like that, you know. And I... I don't want to live in the in the dream. I want to live in reality where I see that my brother, I trust my brother who is one with me. I don't want to see this projection anymore. I want to really see him as the Holy Spirit wants me to see him in truth. And um, to be in that in that wordless receptivity to the Holy Spirit in this reading, it says, I don't, I'm not the doer. I can't fix this. What's wrong with my with my perception? What's wrong with, you know, what I haven't forgiven? I can't fix that. All I have is my willingness, my little itsy-bitsy-teensy-winsy willingness to offer the Holy Spirit. God's grace is the one that's going to fix it and heal it and transform it. But I definitely have my willingness. I put my willingness on the altar and it's not just about him. It's about my perception of the world. I mean, I, I have a lot of aversion to human beings, and I can't seem to release it and heal it. But I think with the little willingness, the willingness we were talking, read about today, is that that isn't my job. My job is to have wordless receptivity to the Holy Spirit, to be empty for the holy instant so that the divine can fix it. It's beyond my perception. It's beyond my ability to transform it or heal it or forgive it. And forgiveness means giving it over to the Holy Spirit and wanting not to hold on to it. And that's where the part that Fran pointed to comes in. When you have the wrong thought, Give it over instantly. I'm complete. Oh, that was so, so helpful, Karen. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Thank you, Karen. Really good. Thank you, Karen. I had a thought about um, the word temptation always pops out, and... um, what is the greatest temptation but to perceive myself as an image in a body, to make a concept of self? And, you know, that um, we're asked to be mindful of all idle thoughts, meaningless thoughts, thoughts of attack and defense, thoughts 
of, of peace, and we've been taught to discern the difference, how my thinking and where those thoughts are coming from, either from the ego, on whose behalf are these thoughts arising, um, the thought system of separation, of judgment, condemnation, accusing, and, you know, that I can accuse, I could be the accuser or that I can be the accused, as Robin Marie pointed out, um, doesn't really matter, that nobody's judging anybody else. Recognize that doesn't matter. That's why the dream is what the dream is. We think we're in competition. We think that we're different from one another we're separate and can be judged as separate and apart. And that's the dream of judgment. That's what makes this world a dream and not reality. It's a false perception of what is real, how God created us to be loving and kind and in union and in harmony, um, being generous of spirit and understanding you know, that everybody is doing the best they can with what they've got from where they came and where they think they're going, who they think they are. Um, the idea that I think my, myself is at home in a body is a great temptation. That's what isolates me and separates me and limits me to a perspective that comes through the body's eyes. And, and that's an idle thought. That's a meaningless thought. And that's one that I need to guard myself. Um, that, um, my mind is something that I must rule. I must rule for the kingdom of God in me, that I am whole and complete and lacking nothing. The ego always comes from a sense of lack, a sense of something is missing, something should be different, something's wrong here. It's a it's the complaint department of the universe. Oh, there goes the monarch butterfly. I think I'll stop there. <laughs> the end. Great. <laughs> Thanks, Judy. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Judy. Good morning, everyone. This is Lori, and um, I'm so glad that um, that paragraph from the introduction to the review, the paragraph that says, let no idle thought go unchallenged, uh, was brought to the forefront this morning. Um, I, too, had a great aversion to people, and I didn't realized that it wasn't so much I didn't like people, I, it was I was afraid of people. And uh, where that came from, I, I, I don't know, and it really doesn't matter at all. Can you guys hear that dog barking? 
Is it disturbing? Okay. No, it's not disturbing. It sounds okay. kind of like a dog chewing on a squeaky toy. <laughs> <laughs> he may be. I like it. I like it. I like his <laughs> opinion. In. Oh, dear. Well, you know, somebody asked me last week a question about my opinion about something. I don't even recall what it was, but... I heard myself say, you know, opinions are like, um, if I could imagine the largest library in the world containing a bunch of notebooks full of information about stuff, an opinion is like going to that giant library, pulling out the right notebook and finding the stuff that relates to that opinion. <laughs> and afterwards, I was thinking about that. I thought, boy, you know, that's a pretty cool answer. It reminds me of... Maybe you guys remember the episode in Star Trek about the library. How um, in that episode, um, the idea was that something would occur in this library that would wipe out 50 centuries of Vulcan knowledge and and leave uh, poor Dr. Spock with the inability uh, to know how to respond. Anyway... Uh, a really useful quote came to mind and it's from chapter 28 and the quote is there is no link of memory to the past there is no link of memory to the past unless I want it <laughs> unless I want to go to that giant library full of information and pull out a notebook that contains my opinion which is formed on the basis of um, collective conditioning my culture um, everything I thought hurt me or helped me. Uh, I mean, it's just a giant database in my mind. And I can always choose let no idle thought go unchallenged. And it's these idle thoughts, the thoughts that just flow in and out of the mind all the time, these idle thoughts, that um, are access points to this giant library of stuff that I think makes up the world and reality and people and stuff I should be afraid of and stuff I shouldn't be afraid of. And that's why, um, I'm going to say it again, I need to train my mind to listen for these idle thoughts. And when I finally, and I'm going to use the word finally, finally real generously here, on my own behalf um, but when I can ultimately realize that oh this is something out of the library which I made to establish a link to the past which I made to establish a link to the past then I can say I don't know and it's discarded I've I've freed my mind from the link to the past. I'm the one who made that link and I'm the one who can be willing to let it go. He said uh, early in the work in the, in the section Love Without Conflict in Chapter 4, he says, truth, will, truth of love will come to any mind that wants it truly. But to want it truly means that it must want it unambiguously without the ego's drive to get you know the ego is 
always there to say, I know, I know, first to raise its hand in the classroom if I have the answer. Uh, because it is that link of memory to the past. And that link of memory to the past is made entirely by the ego's desire to want to know and establish truth. It wants, right before love without conflict, there's a section called ego autonomy. The whole notion of the of ego is an idea, it's a fiction. And the fiction is based on this giant library of 50,000 centuries of fucking knowledge, you know. Everything the ego thought it learned and established is true for it in order to maintain control and separation. It's not a thing, this ego. It's not an actual identity. It's, it's a persona based on access to this library to the past. So when I permit no idle thought to go unchallenged, I'm breaking that link to the past. And that's the whole basis of the holy instant. Truth can come to me at any time I want it truly. And I do want it truly. It's only that link to the past that makes me think I know something else. When I say I don't know, I'm open, I'm ready, I want the truth. I want the truth more than I want anything that I think I have in my link to the past. You know, if I can, and, and it works, you know, it, it, this idea really works. If, um, and I'll tell you, a helpful resource for me um, especially was when I work with brain trauma people, people undergoing brain trauma with um, severe brain injury are brand new people. They're brand new people because they have no access to this library. And it's so easy to establish trust with them and, and uh, create loving, safe places because their mind isn't going to that library. And I realized uh, finally that I could do that myself by saying, I don't know. Uh, Kurt, um, my brother-in-law who had Down syndrome, was a really free, free loving spirit because he didn't ever have an access to a library that told him anything other than love was true. It, every, it got to where if I left the room and came back to him, it was like, oh, I just entered. Hi, look who's here. You know, I can do that with my mind too when I don't use my mind to make a link to the past. I can see anyone, everyone, exactly as they are now when that's what I want. He says, the holy instant is a result of your desire. Pure and simple. I don't want anything else. Um, and I'll, I'll, just, uh, I'll just say that, that um, yeah, we say the word fall in love, you know. And, and everyone kind of has a feel what it's like to fall in love. It's like suddenly um, there's this 
person, place, thing, whatever, uh, that you instantly feel like you want to join with. And when you do, it's like a fall because everything else uh, that was important before that isn't important. It's this, this, whatever this is. When I can see someone without the past, it's like a little tiny fall. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, I have access to this brand new person in a way that is free and clear. And that's why uh, this lesson, I'm not a body, I am free. I am still as God created me is so important to every one of these 20 lessons because it's an invitation of the mind to the mind to go to the right now place. I am as I was. I am as I was. I'm brand new. I can see. Unburdened. Um, unburdened of everything I thought I knew. I can see fresh. And the reason it, it is so helpful, I am as I was created, is my mind is no longer roaming through an ancient library of things that thought it knew. Uh, and I can see fresh. I can meet, um, if I so choose, and I, I'm using this word I collectively as the great I, I can meet anyone as he or she or it or the place or the thing is now without a reference to that library. And the more often I do that, the more my mind is free to remember the love that's really there, that never disappeared. It was always there. Um, it's like a deep, deep flowing well um, of freedom uh, that shared. Anyway, I, I'm complete. Thank you, Lori. That was really Thanks helpful. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you, Lori. <clears throat> Thank you, Lori. When you used the word library, it just opened up a whole new understanding for me. Thank you. This is... Um, well, I'll pass for now. This is Donna. Building out of that library, I had this wonderful past. I didn't know how fabulous it was when I walked through it because everything was an uphill push. But now when I look back on it, I, I want to give everybody the testimony about every event in my life that I saw God was in it which was every event in my life. And I have, began. I don't ever see nobody, so when I do see somebody, I start talking. And I, it has begun to uh, bother me. So that's the Holy Spirit's guidance. Uh, 
as much as I want to continue to tell these fabulous stories, apparently that's not what he wants. So, <clears throat> so this morning, after reading paragraphs 35 through 37, and then going to the lesson, and, and, um, and Fran mentioning about these what I call rogue thoughts, <clears throat> because I couldn't find a better word. And then Ecclesiastes 3.1 came to me, because I kept saying, the Holy Aunt, why is it taking God so long to reveal to me the Holy Instant? And Ecclesiastes came to me, and he ex- it explains it, and I'm going to read this little 3.1. To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. It goes on to list uh, a time to be born, a time to die, to plant, and a time to pluck. So the plant and the pluck really works. So the Holy Spirit has planted and planted and planted in me so that when he really revealed to me finally what this holy instant meant, I would be ready. His purpose would be fulfilled. And it's the same thing with, uh, uh, I'm not sure it was Karen and Robin Marie, speaking about with the children and there's someone who seems to be attacking her. It has a purpose for both. For Because I lived through what she lived through for 13 years, and, and only because there is a God, I didn't kill myself. But I understand, I understand even that has a divine purpose. So I'm very grateful the Holy Spirit has brought me back. So I'm here to receive what I received. And thank you, Lord, for the library, because my past is my library. It would be a beautiful book, but I did choose not to write it. So praise the Lord. Thank you. I am complete. Oh, that's great. That's great, Donna. Yeah. That was great. Maybe you should write it now. <laughs> it sounds interesting. Hello? Am I muted? No, we can hear you. We can hear you now. Oh, I'm pressing too many buttons. <laughs> oh, thank you all for your wonderful shares. I um, was thinking about I am not a body. I am free. I am as God created me. If, if God didn't create me as a body, that was something that we made up. I cannot see alone. I have to see with God through Christ's eyes, which have nothing to do with the body's eyes. So that I am not a body, and I do not and cannot see alone. So that takes me right out of the ego. And um, to how do how did how did I really come to understand that I am not the body? Um, this process of of 
of knowing what reality is when it can't be defined. It can't be measured or quantified or described because it's formless and it's it's changeless and constant and, and here already all the time it's invisible. So we define it by what it's not. And all that's phenomenal, all that changes, all that appears and disappears. So what is changeless in me, what is constant and permanent, is the I am, the I am that is knower of all, or knowing of all that is changing. And that includes Judy as a body, Judy's thoughts, Judy's emotions, anything that too will pass, anything that has a beginning and an end. And um, I think it, it's, it's really, what's really by, um, you know, asking these questions, this self-inquiry, who is this capital S self? And how do I feel it? How do I know my unity? How do I know myself? How do I know what peace really is? And, you know, the funny thing about peace was that I used to want to disturb it. I remember, like, 20 years ago, when I first tried to meditate, to still my mind and be quiet, and it was like, no, no, I got <laughs> to do something to disturb it. I want to know uh, what's going on. I, I need something to pay attention to. I need something outside of me to distract me. And that's the way the mind works. Thinking is active. It's an activity. And like Lori shared in her share that, that that it's the egoic mind that constantly wants to know what's going on and it's like it's not happy just being still and being at peace and the idea that um you know that the mind at rest when we go to sleep the body's at rest and if our mind truly isn't at rest if it's still got a lot of conflict going on when we go to sleep in the dream state, we have a lot of dreams of agitation. And they're practicing of being mindful of when I'm agitated seriously made me aware how I am not the body, how what I think makes who I am and decides and determines the experience that I will have of the world. As I see, so will I experience, and it's an inside job. I have to be mindful of the slightest. Uh, it came with that practicing the the slightest irritation is the same as a murderous rage, and I thought, wow, that's a powerful idea. And to practice that, any time my peace is disturbed, I actually want to kill somebody. <laughs> and it was too gruesome a thought, really. I mean, if I took it literally, and somebody shared, and I'll I'll quit with this. Someone shared on the the, um, the lesson call this morning about taking what the course says cafeteria style. Like I'm going to take take what the course says, what God says is the truth, and then I'm going to take what the ego says is the truth, and you know take what I like and leave the rest. And um, the course emphatically says that I have to stand in the truth as God created me and as I am in truth 
it's the only sanity that I will find, and I have to deny the denial of truth, which is the dream, the dream that I am a body, that I'm temporal, that I can change, that anything can disturb outside of me can disturb my inner peace because there's, it's, God is within me, and I have the power and the strength and the light of understanding that nothing outside me can hurt me because I am immortal and free. I am free. I am as God created me. The end. Thanks, Judy. Thank you, Judy. This Lori again, in, in the reading today, um, I highlighted um, in my little cartoon way uh, of these readings, I highlighted uh, most favorably today, paragraph 36, you ask the question and the answer is given. I merely receive. I merely receive. And in that same paragraph, the sentence, purification is of God alone, therefore for you. Um, that, that movement of mind, you ask the question and the answer is given. Uh, can become reflexive. And, um, and, and, gosh, I sound like a broken record, but um, the reflexive uh, position of the mind in receipt of true authority you know, here's the quote, you who belong to first cause are more than merely guiltless. Guiltlessness itself is only the state that you must reach with God beside you. Until then, until then, you feel like God is beside you, but you cannot know that you are one with him. That's uh, the idea behind paragraph 36. Um, and when I use the word fall, fall in love, um, it's that position of mind that says, beyond anything else, I'm willing to throw everything else away for the sake of love. 
And that's, to me, in my experience, the moment God makes his move. You know, um, no one, no one can fail who commends his spirit into the hands of his creator. I, I don't want anything else but truth. And the reflexive position of mind, really, in true authority, is I want only truth. I don't want to access this giant database that ego seems to have given me as a library for truth, because it's not. It's not the truth. The truth is received by me when I ask the question. So my part, my part is simply to recognize that God gives everything always. God gives everything always. Because of accessing my library, I've put myself in a position where uh, ego thinks it's going to obliterate my library. But the library itself is fiction. Truth is the thought system of truth or love or unity with God or oneness or uh, any number of words can apply to what the essence of the atonement is. It's the truth. And my position in true authority as an effect of my creator that will never, ever, ever change. I think as an ego that I'm caused and everything else is an effect or alternatively I think world is cause and I'm an effect. But the truth is we belong to first cause and beside first cause or source there is no other. And so truth is always given when that's all I want. I need to let myself fall. Um, and, and that's, um, Karen, you talked about the position of mind in meditation. That's how I approach meditation when I say, Father, pray me. Pray me. Because the only real prayer, he says in Song of Prayer, the only real true prayer mind can make is that everything that's given be received. And that's truth. It isn't changeable. It isn't, you know, it isn't this here and that there. Truth is always true and it's unity and love. And when I can fall into that position, let myself free fall, let my mind free fall um, by saying I don't want anything except the presence and action of God in this free space. You know, this invitation in the introduction to the review, this free space, uh, I don't want anything else. Um, that's what gives gives my mind release to be released. You know, uh, I don't do anything. Here's a a really sweet thing that happens. You know, um, it's not as if 
I worry go find an opening for the day is something that's given uh, in free fall, you know, um, from that position of, I don't know what you want to be known today, but whatever it is, my mind is open to receive it. And then it comes. And um, I can do that, you know, with anything um, that causes a disturbance in my peace. Because more than anything, I want truth, and the condition of truth is peace. So um, I ask the question. That's all. I ask the question. And the more often I ask the question, the more my mind is uh, free for truth to be given me, that I can accept all that's already been given. My contribution is nothing. You know, and he says, he says, you always choose, you always choose between your weakness or ego weakness and the strength of Christ in you. Never fails, never, ever, ever fails. And the reason I'm talking about all this in this free fall place is because this is how trust is built. You know, we talk about faith, and and today's lesson, I trust my brothers who are one with me they'll be revealed to me in the free place and in the free place there is no fear um the whole motivation for building that giant library of so-called ego truth was for the purpose of establishing the mind safety remember he said where am i to go where am i to go for safety um where am i to go always always to truth and um and that's to me the essence of willingness and that's how um, how trust is built you know through those stages that he talks about in the manual so anyway uh, I'm complete oh thank you Lori love that thank you thanks Lori this is Sandra and <clears throat> for me the willingness is just to keep turning it over because <laughs> I turn it over and then I take it back the next minute with my judgments and assessments of what the heck's going on here and I don't know what's going on here <clears throat> so I just have to keep turning it over and over sometimes it's 60 times in, in 60 seconds <laughs> and that's what I have to be willing to do until some clarity comes and I have to be willing to be patient and I have to be willing to trust that God's got this. Holy Spirit's got this. I don't have to worry anymore. I'm complete. A good points. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you, Sandra. Sounds like a condition for peace. Beautiful. Well, this is Lemoyne, and uh, <laughs> this is one of those, this is different. Anyway, um, 
I just want to return to the reading in the first sentence. The holy instant is the result of your determination to be holy. It is the answer. But this determination can't be effort or making it happen because that would be the attempt to give the Holy Spirit what he does not ask because he would give it, right? So don't make that attempt to re-add the ego onto him and confuse the two. The Holy Spirit asks but little. It is he who adds the greatness and the might. He joins with you to make the holy instant far greater than you can understand. It is your realization, realization that you need do so little that enables him to give so much. And uh, we'll tie that or turn back to chapter 15. One of my favorite uh, referral sections there, practicing the holy instant. Where it says that this course is not beyond immediate learning unless you prefer to believe that what God wills takes time. And this means only that you would rather delay the recognition that his will is so. I think this is why he calls, you know, things that we perceive as maybe horrible, like (coughs) the wish to enforce the separation through physical violence or something. He would call that an idle thought. You're just delaying the recognition (laughs) that God's will is so. It's eternal and it's always here. So the next sentence says, the holy instant is this one and everyone, the one you want it to be, it is. You must decide on when it is. Delay it not. For beyond the past and the future, in which you will not find it, it stands in shimmering readiness for your acceptance. I add, in the present. <laughs> Yet, um, you cannot bring it into glad awareness while you do not want it, for it holds the whole release from littleness. Therefore, this practice, your practice must therefore rest upon your willingness to let all littleness go. The instant in which magnitude will dawn upon you is but as far away as your desire for it. Think not you can find salvation in your own way and habit. Give over every plan that you have made for your salvation in exchange for God's. His will content you, and there is nothing else that can bring you peace. For peace is of God and of no one beside him. 
think the true same is true for knowledge. And <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, any idle thought that crosswise on acceptance itself. Uh, I don't even want to use the word, but a judgment, right? <laughs> is uh, is going to block it, but <clears throat> if you bring the light, you can see, you shine it away or see the fundamental error behind it. Although it may take time and practice to get to those decisions we make and and hide from ourselves and then project on the world, but let it all be one and it can be released. Those idle thoughts can be released. You can claim the holy instant anytime and anywhere you want it. In your practice, try to give over every plan you have accepted for finding magnitude and littleness. It is not there. Use the holy instant only to recognize, use this as the use of it, only to recognize that you alone cannot know where it is and can only deceive yourself. Complexity of, of the ego, nothing more than the ego's attempt to obscure the obvious. You could live forever in the holy instant, beginning now and reaching to eternity. And uh, <laughs> that eternity is the eternity exists in the present. It's always there. And I'm complete. And uh, thank you all for being here. And we'll end the recording. And we'll move on to the Thank you. Thanks, everybody. Ooh, that was a great wrap. Thank you. That was very good. I agree. Thank you. You know what I loved about it? The um, substituting the ego's plan for my salvation, which is totally preoccupied with this sense of self in the body and the world. I mean... you know, how encompassing our self-preoccupation is with what I'm doing in my body. And it's like pretty much every thought I have all throughout the day. <laughs> I'm full of idle thoughts. <laughs> but um, one holy rolling instant after the other, as as we used to say. <laughs> but, the, you know, the the thing that I was, I've, been, I've, I've been reading about in A Course in Love is that we we have this capability, this great potential to know we are one and be the knower of ourself in separation, in the differentiation, in the differences in our relationship to one another. And, you know, practicing that kind of mindful awareness that I'm the knower of my thoughts. I am not my thoughts. My thoughts can change. My beliefs can change. And um, um, just as, you know, my body is a form, thoughts are a form, emotions are a form, and that I am, in truth, formless. So, um, 
learning learning the truth about who I am has been a wonderful um, um, rediscovery, or maybe just a reawareness, we are a reawakening to recognizing the truth of who I am. And, you know, it's always been that way. I just never really noticed it before. So it's not something that I have to attain or achieve or become. It's just looking how the ego limits and um, fragments and segments me. And the world makes the world outside of me. You know, there's a me inside and there's an outside world and everything is other than. So this is, this holy rolling instant is um, um, taking on a, a greater depth and um, more significance in, in practicing being, being wholeness of being, complete, complete wholeness of being in awareness that everything is, is an idea inside of me, including this idea of Judy that Judy has of herself. <laughs> it sounds really funny when I say it out loud. I'll be quiet now. Thank you. And the seriousness, I was reading this about the seriousness and how much I love to laugh. It's just so reaffirming that the ego wants to make everything seem so hard and so difficult. And how hard can it be to know who I am? I am who I am, no matter what, however I'm being, being an ego or not being an ego, being selfless or no self or totally selfish. It doesn't matter. I'm still I am. And um, just learning to be aware that I am, that I am all the time, changelessly, is what sets me free. I'm not a body. I am free. And there's only one will, and that's joining with that one will is joining with the one will for everybody that ha- is happiness and peace and love. Okay. I'm going to be quiet again. <laughs> oh, don't forget to laugh. Thank you, guys. I love you. Well, thank you, Judy. Um, Thanks, Judy. I didn't want to interrupt you by uh, pressing the end record button. Uh so I I feel called to add, uh, you know the 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 new view that uh, we can adopt is is the idea of variability within wholeness, as opposed to variability meaning there must be separation. And instead, you could look at variability as uh, just if you wanted to prove something, it proves relationship. And that relationship is like love is. When they're all within God, and God is. God is. God is. Oh.